Thank you, Miss Jimmy. It's good to see you back today. And uh, thank you, church, for being a praying church. I really believe that about First Baptist Church of Valley Springs, that uh, we have an army of, of people who care about others and pray for needs. And, and uh, so thank you for praying. And thank you, congregation, for uh, singing praises to the Lord uh, this morning as we worship together. If you would like to, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 this morning. We're going to look at verses 4 through 17, and uh, I was reminded that uh, several years ago I was uh, serving as pastor in, a, in a, uh, another area, and uh, we had scheduled a, a traveling Christian musician uh, to come to our church for a special Sunday and, and minister in music. I'd gotten uh, really uh, uh, nice reports about uh, this particular individual, and uh, so I called him to schedule and I'll tell you, it was, and again, this has been 10, 15 years ago, but I remember it getting really overly complicated. I thought, you know, we'll give him the date, and, and he'll come, and he'll sing, and, and uh, just he asked a lot of questions, and there was a lot of details and requests that he had, and uh, asked some very strange questions of me, like, uh, does your janitor in your church use potpourri or scented cleaners and things like that? And I thought, I've never had anybody ask me that before. I said, I'll be honest, I'm not sure what they use. Uh, well, are there any strange odors or scents and things like that? And I thought, man, I'm going to get back at the guy who recommended this fellow to me. And then he had a lot of uh, strange requests. We booked lodging for the guy, and he had some very specific uh, things that he needed and, and things like that. And I thought, man, this guy is some kind of rock star or diva or something. And uh, I, I would just be honest, it was exhausting. <laughs> and I thought, uh, but I'd already committed to having him come. And so the weekend came when the guy was going to come and, and, and do this special music at our church. And Saturday night, he began to call and text me. And he said, man, I'm, I'm way behind schedule and I'm going to be there, but, you know, I just don't know when I'll get there. And I thought, uh, brother. So, so I began to think about what I was going to preach about if he didn't show up. And uh, I woke up at probably 6 o'clock the next morning, and, and my phone had been blown up. Uh, by the way, if you text or call me uh, after bedtime, I don't keep my phone with me generally. So uh, just FYI, but he had called me and texted me numerous times. Well, his van had broken down, down in Conway. And it was like 3 a.m. that he was texting me. And uh, so I called the gentleman and I said, you know, I think it'd be best. Just don't worry about it. I, I kind of thought maybe you wouldn't make it. And, and um, so don't worry about it. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. He said, I put it out on Facebook and a lady I know over in a nearby town is going to bring me an extra vehicle. And he had like five kids. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? But he said, I'm going to be there. And so I remember uh, thinking, uh, all right. So I meet him out in the parking lot and he, he gets out of his uh, borrowed vehicle and the guy hadn't slept all night. And his shirt's wrinkled, and, and he comes out with his guitar, and I just go, oh, my goodness. And he comes in, and he begins to play and sing. And I tell you, it's just like the Lord was, was ministering through this guy and through his singing. And um, here, here's what he said to me when I said, don't bother coming. Don't worry about it. It's okay. This just seems like maybe the, maybe the Lord's not in it. You know, when you have this many difficulties and maybe we shouldn't do it. And here's what he said. He said, I have to come. 
because this is what the Lord has given me to do. I have to try every possible effort, exhaust every last resource to get to you because this is what the Lord has given me to do. I'll never forget that phrase. And as I watched this guy's ministry, and actually we did ministry together in, in another state and different things, he would always say that. I'm doing what the Lord has given me to do. As I got to know this gentleman, one of the reasons he was asking me strange questions like the potpourri and the cleaning sense in the church was that several of his kids had a rare medical disorder that would send them into all kinds of shock, certain chemicals and being around them. And why he had certain lodging restrictions was for the same reasons, that his kids could go into a place and all of a sudden end up in a hospital. In fact, one of his children died of that disorder uh, about 10 years later. And this man became uh, just a guy that I watched and was inspired by. As I looked at his life, and really he had a fairly um, simple, I would say, sense of calling. And here, here it is. Here's what the Lord has given me to do. To take care of my family and to minister to the church through music. That's what the Lord has given me to do. Today, Genesis chapter 2, we're thinking about, I'm stealing his line as the title of this message, what God has given us to do. Have you ever thought about that? What has God given you to do as an individual, as a man or a woman, boy or girl, before the Lord, what are you created for? What has God given you to do? And I think that sometimes we get so mired in all of life and responsibilities and deadlines and things that we have to do and, 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 and all of our uh, technologies and all of our stuff that we juggle in this very complicated life that we can really get bogged down and lose sight of what we're here for in this life. And thinking about today what God has given us to do, I think it's helpful that we back way out Back to Genesis chapter 2, to the first man, the first human being created by God. So let's pick up in Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. It says this, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub of the field was yet on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise up from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living person, or your translation may say a living soul or spirit. The first thing we notice here is man's kinship, man's unique relationship. I told you a couple of weeks ago as we began to think about from Genesis chapter 1 that man and woman created by God, we said that we are creatures. But not just any creatures, we are creatures given the divine image, the only creatures that have that divine image. So we ask the question of ourselves, and when I say, what is man, what is a human? What is the homo sapien, this creature created by God with a divine image? Well, here we see that he's of the dust. Adam, the name even refers to that of the soil or the dust or the dirt. 
That's how God created Adam. There is a kinship of human beings to all that is in this created realm. What is the human body made up of? You could say cells, you could say skin and blood and things like that. You know, ultimately, the human body is made up of six primary elements from the periodic table. Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. If you were to look up what is soil composed of, the stuff of this earth, you would find largely that that's what the earth is made up of. Some of these same elements, plus many more. You know, it's interesting to think about Moses writing this. He didn't have, though he was inspired by the Spirit, the Spirit knew, but Moses didn't know the periodic table. He didn't know those chemical elements. And he just writes that man is created of the dust. And science even bears that out, that we are composed of these same elements that are found in the earth. But this man also has the breath of life. The breath of God breathed into his nostrils. And so man is, I like what Kyle Strobel entitled his book about man as a worshiper. He says, man is beloved dust. Man is beloved dust. Yes, of the earth. And we find kinship with all of the animals as our fellow creatures and the things of the earth. Because we're formed of those same things. But also we have the spirit of God. Loved by God, created with this special divine image. And in this passage, it says, you know, God had not yet sent rain, but he would water the earth from underneath. Why had he not sent rain? Because there was no man yet formed to cultivate the ground. Which leads us to the second thing, that man has a very special duty and responsibility and job in God's creation. Let's consider now the creation mandate in verses 8 through 15. It says, The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. The Bdellium and the Onyx Stone are there as well. The name of the second river is Gihon, and it flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, and it flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to tend it. We often call this the cultural mandate, which falls in the broader category of what theologians might call the creation mandate. Listen to this. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are given, we believe, some things that are timeless. These are things that humans are to do. This is how life is supposed to be, not just for Christians, but for all people created in the image of God. There are several of these creation mandates. One is in Genesis 1.28, and that is the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. The man and the woman were to go out and have children, make babies, 
Fill the earth. You know, a lot of people right now are worried about, are we overpopulating the earth? Should we be thinking about human population control and all of that kind of thing? This says that God's original intent, beginning with the first man and woman, would be that they multiply, that they procreate, that they go out, and that the earth would be filled with these image bearers that God has created and that have come along through what we call procreation. And so there is the mandate to have children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. It's one of the created intents by God. There is the marriage mandate. God forms Adam, and then from Adam comes Eve. There is the marriage mandate that a man and a woman are to unite as one flesh, leave father and mother, leave and cleave to one another. There is the marriage mandate, and that in that relationship between man and woman, and we're going to come back to this in a couple of weeks, forms this unit called the family this foundational unit of society. Before there is human government and societies and clubs and all of these things, this foundational unit called the family, wherein society would flourish and that we would have fellowship. God has given that. It's one of the creation mandates. Then there is the one we considered a couple of weeks ago, the principle of the Sabbath rest that comes on the seventh day after man has worked for six days. So Genesis 2.15, sometimes called the cultural mandate, is, listen to this. Adam, I'm putting you in Eden, in this garden that I have formed out from the wilderness, and you are to cultivate it, the cultural mandate, to cultivate and to keep it. What are we supposed to be doing in the world today? What has God given you to do and me to do? Well, in a very broad step back and look at the big picture sense, he's given us to cultivate and to keep the earth that he has created. That's what people are supposed to do. And I think that we need to be thinking about what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that flesh itself out in what year is this? 2022. And Valley Springs and the places where I work and the things that I do and the things that I buy and the way that I spend my money. And what do I do with all my trash and my leftover food? All of these things, I think that God cares about these things, the th big things and the small things. But he says to cultivate Eden. What, what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to work the ground. Listen, this earth is full of potentiality, possibility. Fertility. God has filled it in a way that so much can be brought out of it as we cultivate. To cultivate is to work. It's to labor. It's to create. It's to dream and to do. To produce things. I like what one writer said. This idea of cultivating is to develop the latent potential in something. To develop the latent or the sleeping, or the resting potential in something. Do you live your life in such a way that you cultivate and produce? I think that's something we're supposed to do. So cultivate, produce things. Bring out, draw out of God's good creation something special, something from your heart, something that he has given you to do. But he says to keep it. So we cultivate and we keep it. Now to keep it 
is to say we don't trash it. We don't take for granted. We don't misuse and waller around in and make mud holes. We let the people come behind and drink from the clear water as well. Now, I know a lot of conservative Christians, you know, we, we, we don't want to be seen as tree huggers and, and we don't want to be seen as, uh, you know, liberals or whatever. And we're so scared of this kind of thing because we've got these political camps. But I'm just going to say to you, what possible good are we doing when we trash God's creation? When we give no thought to how we use and abuse and misuse and overuse things. You know, we have a farm, and I know many of you do farm or have farms and things like that. And, and I think that rural people in general are good stewards. I think that we're mindful of this thought that, man, someone has cleared this place and kept this place, cleared the stumps out. I, I love to walk through old fields. Well, I don't love it when I've fallen a hole and, and, and twist my knee, where the old timers cleared out all of the trees you think about the work that went into making the fields that we now fence and run cows on. You think about all those things and how they preserved and they passed down. But we live in a time where we give little thought to that. And I think we should think about that. Are we keeping? Are we preserving? Are we making better? Or are we simply materialistic users and abusers? I tell you, there is nothing Christian about overusing and misusing and abusing God's creation. If anybody should be cognizant of creation care, it should be Christians. Can I get an amen? Now, some of that, bo- you know, some of you are bothered by that. Get over it. <laughs> Think about that. Think about what good it does to misuse God's creation. Now, a lot of the reason we do that, we say, you know, the Lord's going to burn this earth up. It's all going to be destroyed, and so we ought to just use it up while we can. Well, that's wrong thinking. While some of that theology may be correct, what if the Lord doesn't come back and renew his creation for a thousand years? What about the next generation and the next and the next? And I think that we should think about from Genesis 2.15, are we cultivating and are we keeping Or are we abusers and misusers? Let me get off that soapbox and move on. I think a good term that we, as we think about living in this world, is that we should be stewards. You know what a steward is? It's someone given responsibility on behalf of another. That's what we're given in this world. We're given responsibility by God on behalf of God to operate and live our lives in such a way that we are reflecting the glory of God. We are bearing his image. Now, many of you youngsters are thinking about what has God given me to do? So you might think about your college major or what you're going to do after high school. Or you might think about a summer job or maybe you're thinking about your vocation or maybe you're in the middle of your career. Maybe you're considering a a mid-career change and you're asking the question, what has God given me to do? That question is appropriate throughout out all of life, no matter how old you are. You might be six years old today, and you go, man, I got to go to school for what seems like the rest of my life. Well, that's what God has given you to do. You can glorify God in your schoolwork and in your work. Maybe you're pushing retirement or you're in retirement. You say, I already did what God's given me to do. What would God give you to do? What does he have for you now? 
before he calls you home, in your retirement years, when you're not maybe stifled and burdened by the eight to five, what has God given you to do in this season of life? It's so much more than vocation or career. It's in everything, in every aspect of life, in our families, in our work, in our leisure, reflecting the glory of God and what God has given us to do. And so look at what God has made and put at Adam's disposal. He's given him this special land, this garden called Eden, where God has planted trees. Hey, there's potential lumber for houses and instruments. He has caused the rivers to flow, this swift running water that might power, that might irrigate that they can drink from, lead the animals to the running water. There is the gold and the onyx and the delium. Gold, we know what that is. Some of you ladies are like, ching, ching. Oh, yeah, it's the good gold. What can you make beautiful and form out of the gold? Delium is a resin that was used for perfumes and incense. Onyx, a stone that has parallel veins that uh, artists would carve and make beautiful things from. So, you know, gold and and incense and stones, you're going, what's that? Man, it's culture, it's art, it's making beautiful things, being creative. God has given Adam and humanity all of these wonderful things to do great things, to do interesting things, beautiful things, artistic things, helpful things. You know, you look around. What has man done with all that God has given? I think it's amazing. We could walk out in this parking lot right here and look at all the cars and the different technologies that are out there. You know where all of that comes from? It comes from the creative engineering minds and the technologies that people have developed from what? From what God has given us to manipulate and to make things from. I was driving through Kansas City this week and uh, my GPS took me on some very strange routes and I end up in these industrial parts. And I'm looking at all of these big factories and things that, that man has engineered from, you know what? All of the raw materials that God has made. Stone and concrete and lime, copper for wire. And I'm looking at all of these big skyscrapers along the night sky and they're all lit up with I guess LED and neon lights and these cars are whizzing by. And on one hand, you go, man, I can't wait to get back to the country. But on another hand, you look at all of that stuff and you go, look at that. All of these things are the fruits of men and women fulfilling the cultural mandate. To take and to make out of what God has given us. It's amazing. And this never goes out of style. It's timeless. That's what we're to do is to cultivate and to keep. Now let's look at man's choice in the garden, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. So we see that, you know, uh, God has put boundaries For that first man, and he still does it today, it's not run free reign over my creation. There are boundaries and there are choices. That's what stood out to me as I read this, is that God puts this tree of life whereby man will eat and live. But there's another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we'll talk more about that in a later message. But it's just to say that there is this tree that 
is fenced off, if you will. Not by an impenetrable fence, but by God's command. He says, there is this tree and you shouldn't eat of it. If you do, you will certainly die. God gives man a choice. Adam and Eve were not slaves in God's garden. They were given choice. Will you serve me? Or will you go out on your own and rebel and serve yourself? And like any good father, any good teacher, he says, of that tree that you shall not eat, if you choose to eat of it, know this, that you will surely die. The relationship, the life-giving breath that comes from me, when you choose that path, it will lead to death. In the day whereof you eat, you will surely die. That connection between the life giver and the man will be severed. Mm. Choice. God didn't make Adam and Eve slaves and he did not make you a slave. We are given a choice of who we will serve. Will we serve the creator who is good and has made all of these good things, but he's also given us the choice whether we will serve him or not. Will we live life under God's rule or will we come out from under it and decide that, you know what, I will decide what's right and wrong. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's that man takes in his own grasp morality and good and evil. And we live in a day where we're seeing our entire world actually. But it's right here at home. It's not just over in Europe. It's not just in New York City and Kansas City. It's right here where man is saying, you know what? We won't be bound by Genesis 1 and 2. We won't be bound by the idea that God creates male and female, that God dictates whether marriage is a man and a woman. We'll not be bound to that. We'll decide what's right and wrong. That's what we see playing out in our world today. And I'll tell you this. That the wages of sin, the payment of sin, what comes from sin and coming out from under God's ways, here's the end result, folks. Listen to me. It's death. And I think that everybody here that is honest could say, you know what? I could point to a thousand choices in my life where I knew what was right according to God, but I chose the wrong. I chose what my flesh longed for. I chose temptation. I chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here's what I will tell you. Sin is pleasurable for a season. That's actually what the Bible tells us. There is something exhilarating, if I'm honest, about you know, this living a life in this constricted box, feeling like this is, you know, I, I'm bound. I, I can't touch that. I can't taste that over there. That's a no-no. And when I decide that I'm going to come out from under that and I'm going to do that thing, it is exhilarating for a moment. It is, we feel like we're as God. We're making our own course and decisions in life. And there's pleasure in that for a moment, for a season. And every time it ends in disaster. It ends in death, disruption, heartache, and pain. You know, I, I'm not going to just to use myself in a, as an example. I really struggle sometimes looking at the things 
that young people are doing or people around me are doing. And I find myself wanting to be judgmental. But in honest moments, I go, I've done that very same thing. And it's only by the grace of God that I've been forgiven of those things and set on a new path. The story of humanity, folks, is that we have all gone to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We've all been given a choice, and we've all chosen wrongly at various points and times. Every one of us. We all are in Adam. Adam is our great, 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 great granddaddy. We're going to see in weeks to come how he and Eve chose the wrong path. And we inherited that sin nature and we acted on that sin nature and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all come in to the situation that God describes as death. We deserve death because of our sin. And that's where it leads. And our connection with God when we sin has been severed. But the good news is, and this is the good news that the church is called and commissioned to go and tell, is that God is reconciling people who are sinners to himself. He sent Jesus Christ, his son, to come to die for our sins, to pay the penalty, and to lead us in the way of life. Listen to me. If you're here today guilty of sin, you know you're not right with God, you know that relationship is severed, you're on the way to destruction But Jesus Christ came to save you, to pull you out of the pit and to save your life and give you eternal life. I want to close with Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I mentioned to you that uh, Brother Carl Garvin is going to be here preaching the next two Sundays, actually. And I asked Brother Carl to come as a former missionary and one who is embarking now. He is retired from his pastorate at his church, and he's going uh, to, to help other missionaries stay on mission. I asked him, I said, would you come and speak as a, a person with missionary experience about how the church can be on mission? Because we've been given a mission as those who are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We are given a great commission by Jesus found in Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. For me, it's interesting to hear the Great Commission in the framework and context of Genesis chapter 2. Of God telling Adam, be my steward, be my disciple, be one who operates in your life for the glory of God. You have authority and responsibility, Adam, to be my steward. And then I hear Jesus coming to his disciples and saying this, listen, All authority or dominion or stewardship has been given to me by God for this purpose. To go out, and I want you followers to go out and make disciples. Tell people about the wonderful love of Jesus and the salvation that he offers. Go and teach them. Listen, to have dominion and stewardship in the name of Jesus and the Great Commission is not to force people or try to um, uh, coerce people by laws or rules 
or legislation to come back to God. Though those things may not be wrong, I think there's good in those things. But listen, nobody is going to become a disciple of Jesus through a law. You know what they're going to become a disciple of Jesus of or by? It's by our witness and our example and our going to them and telling them of the great mercies of Jesus. Jesus says you go and you make disciples and you teach them. And tell them, show them, model it, walk alongside people and bring them back into this relationship. And so that's what I want us to be. I want us to be, I want to be a Great Commission Christian who is operating under the dominion and authority and stewardship of Jesus Christ. I want to do what God has given me to do. And I want this church to be doing what God has given us to do. You know what he's given us to do? I can tell y'all are bored stiff with this. What? What he's given us to do is to be a part of the reestablishment of the dominion through Jesus Christ that was originally given to Adam. And we do that and it's called the Great Commission. We just go and tell people that we can come back to God because of what Jesus has done. And I want us to be a part of that. I want us to get reinvigorated to that. That really what we're talking about in the Great Commission is getting back to Genesis chapter 2. It's being God's stewards. It's being his people. It's reflecting his glory, telling of his love, and bringing people into that relationship. Adam and Eve failed. We have all failed except one, the one who has never failed, the one who has perfectly executed God's commands is Jesus Christ and he calls us to himself we're going to have a time of invitation this morning and I want it to be a couple of different things I want it to be a, to be a time where I just invite you back into relationship with God if you're here today and you feel alienation from God you know that that relationship has been severed and lost come back to him, to your loving father through Jesus Christ, his son. You trust Jesus and what he did on the cross on your behalf and be saved today. Be reconciled. Come out of death and into life. I want to invite you in this time to do that. Also, maybe you're here today and uh, you're a Christian. You've never followed in believer's baptism and you want to make a commitment to do that. You can do that today. Or if you would like to join this body of believers as we travel through this life together and seek to live out what God has given us to do, you can commit to that today. So if you need to make a decision today, let's do that. Let's bow together in this time of reflection and prayer and response. Maybe today you're here and you say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm thinking about careers and, and after careers, and I'm thinking about school and, and majors and paths. Well, let me invite you to do this. In this time of prayer, commit your ways to the Lord. Ask Him for wisdom. Ask Him what He has given you to do. And commit to Him to live that out in daily life. So let's bow and just take a moment. If you'd like to respond to this invitation today, would you come forward? Would you come and just share with this body as you make that commitment?
Father, today we are mindful of the fact that you have created us and you have called us by your mercy and grace to be stewards of what you have created. You have given us a unique place in this life, a unique land, a unique place to live, and each one of us has a corner, a space that we live and move and have our being. And by your wisdom, you have ordained these things. Would you show us in mercy and wisdom how to walk out the mission that you've given us, the commission that you've given us, how to be obedient to you. I pray that you would speak and minister to hearts today. Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.